Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 53 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hello everybody. We are going to take a little bit of a break from the norm on the next episode. We are going to do a show which is just us two again. We've been asked by quite a number of our listeners now if we could do a show just about us, or not just about us, but just with us like the way we used to. So we're going to do that on the next episode. But today we have a special treat for you because we've got with us a ufologist. I don't know whether you say ufologist now or ufologist. Ufologist. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yes, it would be, wouldn't it? Otherwise, it would be unidentified flying ologist. He's a researcher from the UK. He's been doing it for more than 30 years. He can be found on the circuit telling lots of different people about his experiences and the different things that he has investigated. I think you're going to love this because this is definitely something which will literally open your eyes to the stuff going on in the skies above you. Ooh, how clever. Please welcome to the show, Richard Lenny. Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're good. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I'm at home and uh, it's Sunday and it's raining outside, but I'm ready to go. So classic UK <laughs> then. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we're not a million miles away from you because we're only up in Monmouth. So right. I think we're probably, as the crow flies, probably only about 45 minutes away from each other, but probably maybe an hour hour away in the car because you're around Western Supermare area, is that correct? That's right, yeah, about uh, 30 minutes away from Bristol. So, yes, sunny Western Supermare normally, but not today, but yeah. Not today. Uh, We've we got to say sunny normally because of the tourist information board that may be listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know that obviously we're going to talk about some of your research as we go along throughout the show. But initially, I believe, through doing our research into you and your story, your encounters or, or your experiences first started with an encounter that you had with a friend of yours when you were younger. And I know this is around the time of the Rendlesham incident. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Of course, yeah, that's right. I mean, before that, obviously, I was looking at my uncle's books. He had those old sort of like black and white books that you could get back in the day, back in the 70s, you know, with the, the UFOs going over Washington, D.C. and stuff. So that's all how I really started getting interested in it, but I never actually had a, an encounter with anything until the end of uh, 1980, so it would have been December time. I don't know the date, but it was definitely December, and uh, I was coming home from work. It was my first year at work after I left school. I remember it was about six o'clock in the evening, just gone, and I just got off the bus, and I live in a, or I did then, a small village called Uphill. There is a, a school uh, Uphill Primary School, which is where I used to go. And as I walked around the corner from the bus stop, I noticed in the distance, there's a hill with a church on it. There was these, it, I can't remember, it was either six or seven, but there were red lights in a sort of like half circle. And they were just like hanging in the sky, but they were red, they weren't white. And I thought, well, that's a bit unusual because I thought perhaps there were like a display, you know, planes coming over or something. I thought, well, they must be going away if they're red. But they were getting closer and closer, and I noticed that the lights were getting bigger. So I sort of just stood there and watched. And as they were getting closer towards my school, my friend Glenn came around. He must have got off another bus, and he asked me what I was doing. So I said to him, look, you know, there's some strange lights in the sky. What do you think? And he sort of stood with me, and they came quite close. I mean, obviously, it's difficult to say. It was it was dark. They were sort of like, um, I would say, probably four to 500 feet up in the air, so they were quite close. And they were definitely past um, the boatyard, past Uphill Church, and they were sort of just just above my school, and they hovered there. And so by this time, the balls of light were quite large, but again, they were, of course, red. And then all of a sudden, the outer two moved up, and they, were, they went up quite high, and then they went into like a semicircle, and then they slowly came back down again into the formation. And that was pretty odd. So we both looked at each other thinking, okay, what's going to happen next? And then all of a sudden, they started to move very slowly, and they came right over our heads. And as I looked up, I can remember thinking it looked as if they'd all been connected in some way, like it was one big craft. And then they just literally shot off really fast, and that was that. 
But I noticed, I mean, this whole thing probably took about 10 to 15 minutes from the moment I saw it to the moment they flew off. I do remember thinking afterwards, which was quite strange, because it was six o'clock in the evening, everybody would be coming home from work, that there was no one else around. From the moment that Glenn mm. came around that corner, it was only him and me, no one else. There was no cars going by, there was no other buses going by, no people walking around. But of course, at the time, we were so involved in what we were seeing, maybe we, you know, we just missed them, I don't know. But I thought later on how strange that was. And I only lived literally, I suppose, a minute from where that was. And when I got home, like I say, it was only about 15 minutes in total, I think, the whole thing took. But when I got home, my gran, who I lived with, she said that my tea was ruined. Where had I been? I, you know, I was really late. But of course, I didn't think to check the time. So I don't know how late I was. But I think it was a bit strange. Yeah, I must have lost a bit of time there. Now, people do say to me, well, did you sort of go into hypnosis? Do you think they've took you? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember staying, you know, standing there all the time while the thing flew over. So whether they did take me or not, or Glenn, I don't know. But I know this much, that after that experience, my friend Glenn wouldn't talk about it anymore. And the only other time he did talk about it, and I said, oh, those, you know, those lights that we saw, Glenn, do you remember a few years ago? And he was going, oh, yeah, yeah, the white lights. And I said, no, they weren't white, they were red. And he seemed to think they were white. So either he forgot they were red, and, and, but, or he saw them as white, and I saw them as red. So that was a bit odd. But, yeah, he, he didn't really want to talk about it at all. And also, I will just mention, at the end of that week, I think it must have been a Monday or a Tuesday, we have our local Mercury come out, and it was actually reported that one ball of red light was seen flying around our western airfield. Now, we have an airfield down here. Funny enough, the chap later on who was working with me, he actually saw that one ball of red light. And I said to him, yeah, I remember that night, but we saw all seven. So obviously what must have happened after they flew over us, they must have split up and gone their separate ways. And obviously one stayed in Western and the others flew off. We only saw as a, as a complete, you know, formation, as, as a complete unit. But they must have flown off in different directions, I think. Did you report it to anyone? No, no, I didn't. No, didn't report it at all. And there was, like I said, I, I mean, at this precise moment of seeing all this, it, you know, we had no internet. It wasn't really... You know, I didn't think to report it. It was just, but obviously other people did because they, they went to the Mercury over it. And there was a lot of talk around our town about it. Oh, yeah, do you see that ball of red light that was flying around? It was weird, wasn't it? And I was thinking, yeah, but we saw seven, six or seven, you know, not one. You said that you haven't gone down the hypnotic regression route. Would you ever? Probably, yeah. I mean, it might be worth doing, I suppose, at some point. But I never thought it was necessary because... As far as I was concerned, I hadn't lost any time as such, even though obviously my tea was ruined when I got back. Mm. So how much time I'd lost in total from that moment of seeing the UFOs to going home, I will never know. I never thought to check because back then you didn't, you know, it wasn't the sort of thing you thought about doing. But obviously now I would do. Definitely the first thing I do is check the time. You mentioned before the fact that you used to look at some of the old books that they used to have around the 70s. Was that the extent to which your interest in the UFO phenomena was back then? or? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I did a, even did an oral exam for, at school, funny enough, on how to fake a UFO on a photograph. How weird is that? Because hmm. it was a photography thing I was doing for my oral exam, and I used that as part of it. We actually faked a, a, a saucer going over Brian Down. That's quite cool, actually, because I don't know if you remember, but there was a show back around that sort of time. It was called something like UFO. In fact, I think it was literally just called UFO. Right. And it was a group of researchers that were, were I guess it was like a MUFON type thing, where they were, they were going out to reports of UFOs, and they were constantly trying to, in that show, trying to fake the sightings so that they could almost debunk what, the person had seen yeah so i can remember yeah. doing it myself i can remember having this little halina point and click camera and throwing something up in the air myself and trying to take a photo of it and seeing if i could if i could actually get yeah. some kind of image so yeah no that's, that's quite interesting yeah so that's how it all started really and then obviously seeing those like black and white photos you know and these big books that we get from the library and stuff and, and from secondhand bookshops i found very interesting my uncle had a load of them so he lent them all to me. And then, of course, this this was back in the 70s, like I said. And then, obviously, I had that 
close and well, I suppose it was really a close encounter. Close enough. Second kind. Back in 1980, December. And then, of course, after that, then I started looking up at the sky more, you know, um, waiting to see if I could see something else. And occasionally I would see the odd, odd thing. I wasn't sure. I saw a fireball, which is amazing because you don't really see those very often. And I wondered if that was a UFO, you know, this ball that was on fire. But I think that was just a fireball. But that went shooting through the sky. And, of course, I see satellites. And I wasn't sure what they were back then, whether they were satellites or not. Of course, I had no night vision equipment. I had nothing. I was just using my eyes. So I'd take my binoculars. I'd go out at night. I'd go up to Uphill Hill where the church was. And I'd see, you know, if I could see anything going on. And um, occasionally I would see the odd little thing I wasn't sure about. But nothing, you know, untoward. And then that's basically where it was until the internet, of course, came out properly in the mid-90s. And then, of course, it all took off. And then I I discovered Nick Pope, who at the time was working at the Ministry of Defence. So I phoned him up at my office where I was working and, and got straight through to him and told him about my encounter, told him what I just told you. So I did record it, but years later. Yeah. So, yeah. So in actual fact, the answer to your question is, yeah, I did. <laughs> but not until 94, stroke 95. What and, did and what, he say? I was just going to ask, what did Nick say? What was his impressions? Of? Yeah, he was really nice to me on the phone. I mean, we were on there for about 15 minutes and he wrote everything down and uh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got another sighting here. And he, I could hear papers being shuffled, you know. He goes, yeah, I've got something else here, which is very similar to what you said. Of course, I'm wondering if that was to do with the Rendlesham Forest, <laughs> but he didn't say. That, sorry, on that, that's quite an interesting point because you wouldn't, and I haven't spoken to Nick yet, and he's definitely somebody that we'd like to get on the show, but it's interesting. Oh, well, I'll tell him if you, if you want him because oh, we're yeah, very that, good friends now. That would be absolutely amazing, yeah. Uh, what's interesting is that you wouldn't expect to phone what was somebody working in a government facility at that point and actually have them then share information back with you and i guess mm. i guess it's kind of a testament really to the type of investigator and researcher he's turned into because he wasn't going to continually toe the party line he had to obviously fall within certain guidelines when he was doing the job but obviously now he is is a much more open i think researcher and shares everything Yes, he does. He has definitely come out of his shell. I totally agree with that because I've done talks with the guy, you know, and he's been there with me when we've done these talks together. And, and yeah, he has. I've noticed he's come right out this last few years, definitely. So, yeah, so I did record that incident. And then, like I said, I kept in touch with him. So I always email him and chat to him on the phone every now and again because he lives in America. Yes, now. yes, that's right. He married and, lived, and lives in America. but So I don't really see him much anymore, but I still keep in contact. So then after that, then I started noticing there was a lot more stuff on the internet. You know, people had seen stuff and everything and taking photos of these discs. And, and it was mainly oval stuff, you know, like oval craft discs and, and things like that. I was keeping an eye on that. And then I'd go out at night with my brother and we'd go up to this real sort of like place called Bleeden Hill. And it went really high up. It's a Roman road. There's a lot of, supposed to be a lot of like hauntings up there and stuff. And we went up there and we, I suppose it must have been a, probably around about sort of 10, 11 o'clock at night. Again, it was dark. And all of a sudden, we heard this rumble. <laughs> I could feel the vibration under the road. I mean, there was no one around. It was completely dead. And we were looking up and it was a beautiful night. I remember it, it was stars everywhere. And I looked at my brother, John. And John looked at me and I said, what's that? It sounds like thunder. And this is God's honest truth. 20 odd cars came coming up behind us really slowly and stopped. And one nearly touched the back of my ankle. I mean, they came that close, right up to us. And then all these guys in suits got out, and they just stood by the cars. But the car in front was a police car, or it looked like a police car. You know, it had all the usual stuff on it. And I remember it was a Rover, and um, there was a policeman in it, and he just asked me what I was doing. And for some, I don't know why, I was about to tell him I was UFO spotting, and I changed it to plane spotting instead. And he goes, oh, I used to do that. And then we started chatting about plane spotting and stuff, you know, and, and what's your favorite plane and that. And then um, this is really strange, right? And then my brother was smoked at the time and he asked the policeman for a light and the policeman gave him a light. And, and then I said to him, because before all this happened, there was one car that shot past. And I always remember it was a Moonstone Blue Cosworth three-door. I'll never forget it. So, of course, we assumed that's who they were after. We assumed it had been stolen, you know, because that's around about this time. That's when all that was going on. Mm. 
And he goes, oh, yeah, we know about that car. No, we're not interested in that. And I went, okay. And then for about 50 minutes, he was just chatting to us. And all these other policemen, well, we assumed they were policemen. They weren't in uniform. They were in suits. We all stood by these cars. I mean, it probably wasn't 20 cars, but it, there was a load of cars. It was at least 10, 12, you know, mm. could have been more. And we just couldn't work out what was going on. We thought there was some sort of, like, police convention going on up here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was really weird. And then the, the odd thing about it was my car was parked over on the side. I'll never forget, it was an Alfa Romeo, and I remembered I hadn't got the tax for the car. It was out of tax. I was so worried he was going to notice. <laughs> he wasn't, he didn't even look, he didn't even get out of the car, his police car, to check my car. He didn't want to know about my car. What he was interested in is what we were doing, and he was trying to get as much information out of us as possible. The only thing I can't remember is them going. The next thing I remember is being in my car, taking my brother back home, and then... After that, I'm driving back home to my own house again, and I remember seeing one police car going the other way, and the guy just sort of looked at me really sternly, and that was that. So that was a weird night. And how long ago was that? Yeah, this would have been late 90s, about 98, 99. No, sorry, no, no, no. No, this would have been earlier, because I had an Alfa Romeo. This would have been 1990, 91. So this was before the sort of men in black thing came to uh, yeah, people's this is attention? It. This is before I knew about men in Men in Hats, which is what they were called originally. Mm. Then Men in Black, yeah. This, yeah, because this would have been nine. This would have been nineteen ninety straight ninety one. So, yeah, I wouldn't even have known about that at all. So, skipping forward a bit, what you do now is you have your night vision equipment and you know things that you use, and you go out at night. And what do you do? Okay, to get to that point, about twenty ten, twenty eleven. It was on the internet, and I discovered this guy in America called Ed, and he, he was seeing night vision. He was seeing UFOs through night vision equipment, and he had and left his phone number on his website. So I thought, well, I'll give him a ring and just see, you know, if, if all this stuff is true. And so I spoke to him for an hour or so on the phone, and he said, oh, yeah, Rich, you need to get these night visions. He said, I've got Generation 3s. You see loads of stuff. He said, I'm out there at night, and I'm seeing triangle craft. I'm seeing all sorts of shapes. He said, but you can only see it through night vision. You can't see it with your naked eye. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll get a set of night visions. Well, of course, night vision generation threes are, are, first of all, legal in the UK. You can only get to two plus. But the two plus ones are like two and a half, three grand. So it's a lot of money. So I went for a one plus, which is about five, six hundred pounds. I thought I'd try it. So Ed did actually come over. His name was Ed Grimsley. He actually did come over for eight days and stayed with me at my house and he brought all his night vision stuff over so i had generation three had generation four which is like total military and i'm telling you that the higher the generation the better it is because the further you see out mm. it is unbelievable i mean the craft that are up there that you see flying around i mean you see satellites obviously but you know the stuff that's flying around out there is just amazing and and you sort of put your eyes away from the night visions and they're not there and then you put them back over and you see them again. Are you talking about things that are in our atmosphere? No, I'm talking about things that are in space. Right, okay. Yeah, actually in space as well. I mean, you see stuff, obviously, in our atmosphere, but I'm talking out in space itself. There's stuff really sort of like moving around, like making crazy maneuvers. There's like glitching going on as well, which like it's like we're in a game you know, like you're, you're looking through a games machine and all of a sudden your games machine glitches. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a craft that's moving quickly, you know, out in space and all of a sudden it will jump and then it'll go back into formation again. It's really weird, like a glitch. And is it easy to distinguish, say, a commercial airplane from these other sorts of things? Is it really easy oh, to yeah, see yeah. the difference? With, with a plane, it's a lot bigger and you've got all the lights flashing and you've got to you got to look away because it can hurt your eyes. Right, right, okay. Because it's lit up like a Christmas tree, you know, <laughs> and it goes quite slowly. And then the ones further away, you still see the lights flashing and, and stuff like that. But these things are like little ovals or little triangles, or they're like tic-tacs, you know, or they've got like a long sort of oblong or, or like a rod. Mm. And, and they, they move really quickly. But the ones I've noticed, that you can't see with your naked eye. You can only literally see them through night vision because we do see stuff that you can see with your naked eye as well, which is better through night vision. But the ones that are cloaked, they are almost like 
ghosts. They're like almost see-through, and they move really quick. And I'm talking so fast, you've got to, you know, you've got to keep up with it, and you can lose it so easily. And the amount of times I've lost these craft because they just move so fast, they're almost like you can see the stars through it. You know, so it's sort of like a, an odd shape craft, but it's almost like a ghost, like a see-through. And these you cannot see with your naked eye at all. And it's hard to be able to distinguish the two because, like I said, they move so quickly. But if you follow it, if you've got a big enough scope, you can follow it from a distance and you've got nothing in the way. You can move the night visions away from your eyes. So you've still got it in the viewfinder, so you can still follow it. And you look above your, your night visions and there's just nothing there. There is just nothing there at all. But it's in the night vision. So it is there, but it's only the, the night vision part that's picking it up. And if you were to get, uh, say, for instance, Ed was with you at a particular time and you both saw the same thing through different binoculars are you, or, or different scopes, are you seeing that? Are you corroborating each other so we yeah, can we say... Yeah, we, we did that because, we, obviously, on the nights when he was here, we, he had bought different pairs. So I had, like, Generation 3s. He was using Generation 4. And we were looking and he'd go, Rich, I've got one. And he would point to roughly where it was. And then I'd look and, yeah, we'd both follow it. But we both see exactly the same thing. Right, so we couldn't say then that it's an artefact on no, somebody's oh, no, scope no, no. because it's being corroborated on another. So that was my yeah. point to that. So when we were researching this show, we came across a challenge that you put to skeptics to come and view some of your images and see UFOs themselves. I believe it was in the Mercury. It was something the Mercury That's did. Right. Did any of the skeptics take you up on that offer? Yeah, I had a couple. And what yeah, happened there? I, I took them out with the night visions, and we obviously I didn't always get stuff through. This is the problem. You can go weeks and not seeing anything. Thing, and then all of a sudden you have a great night mm. but i did get one yeah it did change him really he was like whoa <laughs> he thought okay <laughs> maybe there is something to this i must get a pair and he did get a pair and now he's doing it really and this is what i'm doing yeah this is why i do what i do i don't do it for money i don't write books or anything like that i'm in books but i don't write books i'm literally just doing it to try and get this truth out here to get as many people to buy night visions as possible so they can see this stuff but that's during the night time now, there is a completely different method if you want to see it during the day. But you can see them during the day as well, as long as it's not cloudy, as long as it's got you know, a blue sky. And it's a lot cheaper. How would you go about cheaper. doing that? I didn't discover this. This was discovered by a gentleman who at the time was living in Australia, who's also a very good friend of mine. He's a researcher as well, called Laszlo Novak. Now, Laszlo Novak now lives in Belgium. But he was in Australia where the weather was fantastic most of the year. You know, it was blue sky. And he'd be sitting on his roof during the day and he'd be recording all this stuff. So what you need basically is to go on eBay, get a second-hand camcorder, you know, one of the old ones that takes a tape. Mm -hmm. But it must, must have a screw thread lens on the front because you're going to have to put a filter on it. Otherwise, this is not going to work. Now, not all camcorders have screw thread lenses. So you must get one with a screw thread lens. I think Canon do them. Olympus do them, so that's good quality. Mm. Secondhand, you'll probably be looking about £120 for this camcorder, maybe a bit less, but you must get a very good quality filter. And the one I recommend is a Massa 850 infrared filter. Now, this filter will set you back about £80 to £100 also. So the whole setup is about 200 quid, okay? Just over. Yeah. And that's it. That's all you need. Nothing else. And then you screw thread the filter onto your lens. You then, on these, all these camcorders, by the way, have what's called a night shot function, which means if you want to video something at nighttime, you put that on and it gives you better light. It goes to infrared, basically. So you'll be doing that, but you're doing it during the daytime, not the nighttime. So you switch your camcorder to infrared, which is night shot. That's the function it's called. So you switch that on. You switch your zoom to infinity. That's very important. Straight to infinity. Okay, you've got your filter on the front. Okay, bang, where you go. So you go out in your front garden, you look up at the blue sky, you pan very slowly, and I guarantee you within two minutes you'll find a sphere. Okay, now these spheres are up there 24 7, 365. And we think they're drones. They're not that big, they're about as, probably about the size of an old style mini. Okay, like the old 60s mini, but mm. of course round. Okay. And they're up there, and they hover around about thirty to 40,000 feet, hence the reason why you want your zoom on infinity. But you will find them, and then just watch them. Push the record button, and just record them and see what they do. And you'll find that when a jet liner goes past, it'll go up into the, into the jet vapor, and it'll follow it. 
and sometimes it will take some of the contrail out. And we think what it's doing there is it's checking it to make sure that it's, you know, it's not damaging the planet. It's, that's what we think. They're, they're, because what they seem to do is they seem to observe, check things out. Occasionally they'll come down really low. But most of the time they step around about uh, 30,000, 40,000 feet. And there's about one to every between 10 and 30 miles throughout the circumference of the Earth. There is literally millions and millions of these things. And they're up there all the time. Now, I've been researching this for five years. And I've got other people to record them for me. And we are working as a team. I've got John Wilson, who's also got a massive, powerful telescope. And he catches them. He takes photographs of them. And he's actually caught them leaving our Earth and going out towards our moon. And we've also seen them coming from the moon and coming back towards Earth. Obviously, from the moon, they're little white dots, but they are those spheres. And they come out of what we think is called the Aristarchus Crater, which is one of the craters on the moon. And that's where they seem to come from. But I think they come from other parts of the moon as well. I'm not saying they all come from the moon, but they seem to, a lot of them seem to come from that part of the moon. And then we follow them back and they go past the ISS. So the ISS obviously sees them. They come down into our atmosphere and they hang around about 30,000, feet out. And this is what I'm harking on about. I don't know if you've seen it on my Facebook page lately about planes, how it's not safe. Um, they hit our planes every now and again. They dent them. Pilots don't realize until they come off the plane. They think it's a bird strike, but it's not. I mean, sometimes it is a bird strike, but you can see the difference. No blood, no feathers. It's a lot bigger. The tent's a lot bigger, and the paint's all cracked off it. And military have got these things, they've seen them as well. I've had F-16 General Dynamics fly up, and these spheres have flown in between the two of them. It's all been recorded. It's all down in the Navy log. They see them as well. They've even tried to engage with them, and the thing just flies off. It shoots off. Do you think that these are all one different type of alien? Well, we don't know. Or... We don't, I mean, to begin with, I thought they were ours. They weren't even extraterrestrial until, of course... We notice where they were going. And also, you wouldn't compromise your own planes. That would be a bit stupid, wouldn't it? So they've got to be from somewhere, but we don't know where. We don't know who's controlling them, but we think it's being controlled for something a lot bigger. Because with these, uh, we, 90% certainly these are drones. But they're not our drones. They're someone else's drones. And they're observing. They're observing everything we do. And we think, because we don't know, this is what we're assuming. They're recording everything we do. And the reason I say that is because wherever there is a disaster in the world, like a boat on its side, twin towers, volcano, wars, they'll be there. They'll be watching. They won't interfere, but they'll watch. And we assume that's why they're watching, because they're recording. Do you have a place where you upload these images and uh, a place where maybe yourself and your fellow researchers all, all sort of collect this information? Yeah, I've got thousands of photos. They're all on Facebook. On your Facebook page, eh? Yeah. Okay, I've got video, I've got photos, some I've taken, some other friends have taken. I've got to the point now where I don't do it anymore. I just let other people do it for me, and they send me the photos. I mean, I know they're up there, but I'm still doing the research with John Wilson on this because it is very important because they do hit our planes, and I think that's why sometimes when a plane falls out of a perfect blue sky, no weather, at 35,000 feet, and they call it pilot error, well, they're saying that the plane malfunctioned. I'm pretty sure it's these spheres. They hit the wrong part of the plane, and that's it. Game over. We came across an article which actually quoted your Facebook page where it said that you suggested that an air crash in the UK here may have been down to a UFO coming into contact with a jet. Do you still believe that was the case in that situation? Yeah, I do. And that I, I researched that with John Wilson as well, and, and I only happened to watch the video because what I was doing, because that air shows... It's a brilliant place, by the way, to find these spheres and other anomalies as well, other types of craft. And I noticed that as the plane was doing a loop, there was this thing. It flew across and it seemed to hit the fuselage or one of the tanks underneath the, the Hawk, which keeps the fuel. It seemed to bounce off it. And I play it back and forward all the time on a big, big TV screen because you need a big TV screen to see it properly. And I actually phoned the police up and said at the time, I think it was a drone or something like that, I called it. I said, but definitely some anomaly. I didn't say it was a UFO or such, but mm. I suppose it is, and flying object. But 
I said, you know, and you say it was extraterrestrial or anything like that. I just said, yeah, I think you've got a drone or something hit the plane. Or the pilot must have seen it at the last moment, which is why he didn't do the loop as big as he should have done. So, of course, when he came back down, he was too low and he crashed. And I'm standing by that to this day. And John checked it for me because he's got a really fancy computer and he put it on different filters. And he said, Rich, he said, this isn't the only place where this sphere is. Check this out. And it was all over the display. I mean, this thing was flying all around. It was on about 16 different frames. So that day, that guy, when he was flying that hawk, he had this sphere thing flying all around him. And yeah, I still I still stand by it, definitely, 100%. I saw that the video the footage crash. of that that you posted, and, and it's definitely compelling watching. The recent activity that we had with supposed drones that you can buy off the shelf recently at Gatwick Airport, I was looking into that recently and found that there's no footage that we can actually see of this drone. And in fact, there, no. there's been some reports recently that have suggested that maybe there wasn't even a drone. It makes me wonder whether, and I know I'm going down the whole sort of conspiracy rabbit hole here, but whether there was something, the likes of which you're talking about, that was maybe in the area that stopped this from yeah. going on and they just didn't want to let well, the public correct. know. Do you have any feelings about that? Yeah, I've got proof. Yeah, I've got a photograph of a sphere that was up above the airport. I got um, a guy, a German guy, I can't remember his name, <laughs> gun to somebody. He lives down at the end of the runway, and he's friends with me on Facebook just purely by chance. And he contacted me and said, Rich, have you heard about these drones? And I hadn't at the time. I was too busy doing other stuff. So I went on and saw the news and thought, blimey, what's this going on? And he said, I think it's one of your spheres. <laughs> so he said, I took a photograph of it, and he sent it to me, and yep, there it was. So we can only assume that must have been what it was. And they shut the airport down and said it was drones flying. And I'll tell you something. I mean, I saw the guys being interviewed outside their house that were supposed to have been two people, the, the man and the woman that were supposed to have been flying those drones. Mm. They later got squashed. You could tell they were acting. Yeah. It was so obvious, you know. The whole thing was a complete sham. Yeah. Yeah, they closed, they closed the airport down because a sphere came down too close and was hovering there. That's my opinion, anyway. And, and Gunter took a photo of it and showed it to me. And he said, that is not a drone. That's too big to be a drone. So I've got drones myself. Tell us about this lady in Devon, whose house that you went to, because I heard you talk about this probably 10 years ago. And I know yeah. that there's some more information that you've got on this recently. And I know that you're looking to go back again. Can you let our listeners know? Because this is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, well, after doing a, a TV show for Rich Planet TV, I met a guy in the car park who just said he knew of a lady who was seeing stuff going on in her garden. And she went up to a lead conference with footage and nobody wanted to know. So she was really distraught about it. Would I phone her and see if I can find out a bit more about what's going on? So I did. And lovely lady in her 60s called Nina. She lived in Devon. She's got a lovely house with 100 acres of land. And it's all secure. You know, you can't get in. It's all fenced off. But she's got all this land. And she says they're just using it, you know, for doing experiments with and the landing craft at the weekend. And she says, I've seen ET beams coming down, taking up soil and water. She goes, my cat has been taken. She said, I've seen that. She said, I, I don't know what to do, Rich. There's so much going on. Can you help me? So I went, blimey, I'm coming down. <laughs> I arranged it anyway, and I went down there for the weekend and stayed with her. Took my equipment down, obviously my night vision, camcorder, everything. And there we go. And, and literally the first night, well, actually the first day before even night fell, she was telling me about all the experiences she'd seen and stuff like that. And then she goes, I've got a video to show you. I've got a portable TV. I'm going to link it all up and put the video cassette into it. I'll show you it. So as she did that, a ball of light shot past me and it was in the downstairs bedroom window it curveballed into her bedroom window and melted the television and it wasn't even plugged in Bloody hell. so she screams i mean i could smell burning plastic it's horrible she comes running out with this brand new tv 14 inch portable with a cassette video cassette thing in it and she said richard richard they've just burned the television they don't want me to show you and i couldn't believe it and i saw the the streak of light going past me and literally just missed my stomach because I thought it was like lightning or something. I wasn't sure what it was, you know, and it, was, it all happened so quickly. And so I don't think I should show you on the big TV, but she explained to me it was a triangle craft that went over Sainsbury's while she was going to do shopping. 
And the video she took from the car looking up, she said when she got back, she put the cassette in and it wasn't her in the car looking up. She was in the craft looking down above all the houses. The video shows it all. You know, the rooftops of Sainsbury's, the rooftop of all the houses, the cars, the people are like, you know, miniature. She must have been a good, I don't know, 1,000 feet up, maybe a bit less, 800 feet up, but she was really high. And you could see she was looking out of the car. You could see part of the craft. Anyway, this video I did later get to see. Let's put it this way. She faked it. She was in a helicopter <laughs> or something. She was high up and she was looking down and you could see everything, you know, and she wasn't in the car looking up, which is where she said she was when she took the video. So that, that was the start of it. And then night falls. It'd been raining. She says, oh, they've landed here in the front, you know, on the gravel in the front driveway. Come and have a look. And she had no cars there. And it looked as if a car had been parked there because that part wasn't wet, but it was still raining. And the water was not hitting that part of the driveway. And she said, the craft must still be here, but it's cloaked. And it was just a completely dry patch. So we go back inside. Uh, an hour went past. She goes, oh, I think they're out the front again. But this time they're taking up soil. She said, there's beams, I think, coming down. Let me just check. She goes back out. She seems to know these things before they happen. She gets a sense. And she runs back in. Richard, Richard, get your night visions. Get your, you know, camcorder. They're out there. They're out there. They're taking up soil. So I run outside. I see nothing. There's nothing there. And she said, Nina, I, and Nina can see them, by the way. Okay, she doesn't need any equipment. And she goes, Richard, Richard, get your night visions. So I get my night visions. Still nothing even through night visions, beautiful, clear view, 20 feet in front of me of her trees, grass, nothing, absolutely nothing. So the only other thing I do is go to infrared, which I don't like to do because it takes more power at the battery. But I did it anyway, and then bang, there they were. 45-degree angle, two beams coming down from the sky, coming out of a kidney-shaped, plasma-type shaped thing that was rocking backwards and forwards, low cloud level. So this kidney-shaped thing was below the cloud, beams coming down from that, taking up something, didn't know what it was, because I could see stuff going up through the beams. And she told me it was soil, which, of course, later on I discovered it was. So anyway, I thought, well, I've got to record this. My night visions, unfortunately, at that particular time didn't record. I had no memory card in it. So what I did was I went and got the camcorder, hoping that would pick it up. And it did. So I went to that night shot thing, you know, where you can yeah. go to infrared. And there they were. So I pushed the record button. So I've got all this on a memory stick and I put my eyes away from the camcorder and it's such a weird feeling to look at it because you can see the beam still coming down through the viewfinder but you look in front of you and there's nothing there so it looks as if I'm playing a pre-recorded tape but I'm not doing it live and I'm recording so I go back up and I'm watching it and I say Nina what are they doing then she says they're taking up soil she goes they do this they take berries they take acorns she said they take my water from my mermaid pond so they're like farmers they're obviously checking to make sure that we're not messing up the the earth and then she goes to me and this is the best bit because you can hear her talking you can't see it but you can hear her talking to me she goes Richard Richard they're moving around to the back of the building of course while she says that they are they're starting to move it was something like out of war of the worlds so I follow it and then I stop recording and she runs into the back to go out the back because she can see them anyway. And she said, oh, Richard, they've gone, they've gone. And that was that. And in the morning, I went out to the garden and bang, there they were, four by two inches across, four inches down, perfectly machined holes all over her grass, hundreds and hundreds of holes where they'd obviously taken up soil. And there was berries. The berries have been beautifully peeled open. The inside's gone. The shell's left. Acorns that had been laser cut. I mean, if you try cutting an acorn with a very sharp knife, it's virtually impossible. And these are just literally sliced. They take half. The other half stays on the ground. Now, I've got that as well. That's upstairs in my bedroom. I still kept that. And I've got all this on, on video, plus other stuff as well, which I caught down there. So, And is that video available for people to watch again on your Facebook? Or? No, I haven't shown this to anybody apart from one person, and that was Kevin Smith. I did it on his show. And then a few months later, he passed away. And then okay, well, wife, then we don't want to see it. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and the whole thing was taken down. It's not even on the internet. Why? So uh, I know people that recorded it. And they get this, right? I know people that recorded that program that night. Oh, Richard, I got you. I'm Kevin Smith. I went, okay. Do you want me to send it to you? I went, yeah, please. They send me it. It corrupts my computer. So you work it out. I, I have no answers to that. No, nor have I. <laughs> Do you get the notion that the phenomena is aware that you're observing them? And the reason why I ask this is because we spoke to Paul Sinclair. I don't know if you know Paul, the author of the Truth Proof series. He explained right. that some of the reports that he's compiled seem to suggest that there's intelligence that's aware that they're actually being watched and in some cases may even put on a show or move towards the viewer. Are you aware that maybe the intelligence is aware of you watching them? I think so, yeah. I think they are aware. I mean, while I was seeing these beams coming down, I gave the command order to Nina, and I started to walk, because I wanted to go into the beams, even though I couldn't see it with my naked eye. She grabs me and pulls me back. Did, sorry, no, did, no, no, sorry. No. did you say you wanted to walk under the beams? Yeah, something compelled me to. I don't know why. The ones that are cutting holes in the ground? Yeah, yeah. Richard, you're a brave man. Yeah, but I don't know why I did that. I, I literally went... I just went to do it. I didn't even tell her what I was doing. I gave her the camcorder. I started to walk, and she literally grabbed me by my jacket and pulled me back. She may well have saved your life. I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I don't know why I did that. That is, but you hear cases, don't you, of people that are compelled in the middle of the night? You know, they wake up in the middle of the night and they're compelled to go outside mm. and and mm. approach the light that's beaming in through their closed curtains. So then, after that, I went into one of their other gardens. Um, sorry, her other fields. So they are fields, not gardens. And there's power poles, you know, in, the, in there and the stuff. And there's like little sheds with a car in it. And, oh, it just goes on forever and ever and ever. And there's, because she told me that a massive big craft had landed in this field. So I thought I'd go and have a look. So I went in to this field at night with a flashlight after all this had happened with the beams. And I could see an outline of something that, that had landed. And I can't explain it as such, but it was like a sort of, a grabber thing that had gone under the soil and back up over itself, where it obviously had held onto the grass when it landed. I suppose it must have been the feet or something, and it had, like, clamped down into the soil. And it made all these funny marks, and there was no way you could fake it. I mean, it would have taken you forever to have done all that. And this thing was huge. I mean, it went on virtually the length of the, of the field. The thing was massive. It was huge. And she says, what happens is, during the week, this is what she's now telling me, craft flyover, small craft, Okay, like triangle craft, egg-shaped craft. Some might land in a field. And then she said, what they're doing is they're having a look to make sure everything is clear so the mothership lands at the weekend. And then on a Saturday, it lands in this massive field. And she said, the occupants get out. She sees them. She says, they want me to go over there. I know they do. They want me to go in the craft. I said, Nina, that's what they do. Back in the 60s and 70s, we had craft that used to land in farmers' fields. Farmers used to, some farmers used to run away, but some used to go for a ride, you know, in these craft, because that's what they wanted to do. And I think what was happening here, it was late 50s, early 60s this was going on, they were getting ready for disclosure. They were getting ready to show themselves, and I think the government then came in with Project Blue Book and shut the whole thing down. That's my personal belief of what was going on. These ETs wanted us to know that they were here, and they were getting us ready for disclosure, taking us for a ride in their craft, showing us you know, what they look like and stuff like that, showing to us that they're friendly, and then they drop them back down again, and then they fly away. And this was happening all over the world, okay? This is documented. And I said to Nina, this is what they want you to do. She said, the door's open. I can see them in there. I said, go on then, go, go. Because I would have done. But she wouldn't do it. Went, okay, fair enough. So she just watched them, you know, from her window. She could see them in the field opposite. And I said, that, I think that's what they want you to do, you know. But, yeah, it was a lot of stuff going on down there. Her cat stops, like, walking all of a sudden. It looks like it's going to be sick. And, and then it's weird. You start to see it disappear. And the tiles from the kitchen come through the cat, because, like, by the, you know, by the wall. And then it's gone. It takes two minutes. So it's like something out of Star Trek, but it's not that quick. It's a lot slower. So it's, it's literally uh, like dematerializing. Yeah. And then two hours later, it'll be meowing outside wanting to come in. She doesn't have a cat flat, so she has to physically let it in. She said the cat has never, ever been to the vet. It's never been ill. It's always got a glossy coat. Never had any problems with the cat at all. She said that she thinks they look after the cat, make sure it's okay. It always comes back. And now 
what she does is she just lets the cat out because Meow is wanting to go out because, of course, to begin with, she wouldn't let it out. And, of course, that's when they took her, you know, like that way. Now she just lets the cat out and the cat goes and then comes back later on. So you're going back there again soon, you told me yeah, before we went on there. I am. And what do you hope to achieve then? What are you going to okay, do differently? this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. I'm working with John Molson again, um, who's another researcher, and he and I, we're going to go down with his drones, because he's got these really top-quality drones with 4K cameras, and I'm talking the works, you know, everything on it, infrared, it's got the works. And what we're going to do is we're going to fly these around uh, with her permission, obviously with the perimeter of her 100-acre land, and try and see if we can get some footage of other stuff that's going on. But my main first thing I want to do when I get down there is obviously see her again, you know, knock on the door, go in there, have a cup of tea with her. She's, you know, fine with staying and doing research. She doesn't mind that. If she's not there anymore and someone else owns the property now, then obviously it's going to be a bit of a problem. But she was on about selling it originally. But when I left there the first time, I did discover a map maker, a friend of mine on Facebook. He did some research for me and he said that the Michael and Mary ley lines run right through her property, literally right through her house, out the other side, and then go on to Stonehenge. And I think these Michael and Mary ley lines, which are the biggest ley lines that we have in the UK, I think that helps to bring all this out. And from the 6th of November, which was a Saturday, 2010, when there was a bonfire party going on, Nina was watching out of the window. That's when it all started for Nina. Before that, she didn't believe in UFOs. She never saw anything. She thought it was all rubbish. That's when it all started for her, and that's when they gave her the ability to see the infrared spectrum, which, of course, is humanly impossible. So she's proved that to me. I've got video proof of that as well, what's going on. I've seen other stuff going on down there too. So we know they hide in the infrared spectrum, but we also know they come out into the open. We know they watch us because, obviously, you think about it, those beams coming down, if I hadn't had Nina there, how would I have known where to point the camera to record them? Yeah. Because I wouldn't have seen them with my own eyes. I would have gone out there for a smoke, let the dog out if it was my own property. I wouldn't even have known. And in the morning, if I was going to cut the grass and I saw those holes, I would just assumed it was an animal that had done it. I thought nothing more of it. So even though they were beautifully machined, you know, and everything. So this is what I'm trying to say. They could be, you know, down the bottom of your garden. You wouldn't even know. You know, you wouldn't even know what's going on. They hide 90% of the time. And I think why they're hiding now in the infrared spectrum is because they know that we can see them through normal night vision, which is a form of IR. Mm. You know, um, they're cloaking themselves even more now and hiding themselves. But still, we do have equipment or the equipment exists to be able to see it even now. At the moment, (laughs) until they find some other way of hiding. But I wonder if they think that they're cloaked. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I wonder that sometimes. I've seen craft cloaked, uncloaked, and then cloaked again, where they've got a problem with their cloaking device. <laughs> well, that's what it seems like anyway. But yeah, do they know that they're, they're cloaked? They can't, I don't know. It's, you know, and she communicates through the thought process. She said that's how she communicates with them. It's just strange because obviously they don't care if she sees it. No. Well, they've, they've given her the ability to see them. They didn't have to do that. But they don't want anyone else to see it. So I wonder mm, mm. what it is about her that they think she's trustworthy enough or... Maybe she will unwittingly pay a part in the disclosure if that's what they're looking for. With the recent reports, Richard, of coming out from the US Air Force pilots about the contact they've had with unexplained craft, do you think now may be a time to actually start submitting all of your evidence, if possible, to mainstream media, etc.? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it's a good idea. But trouble with that is, it's you know, it's, it's dangerous, isn't it? You don't know how far you can go with it. That's the problem. Is how much can you give, and what will happen? The consequences yeah. of you know it is difficult. Not only from our government or or whatever, but also you know, if you piss whatever it is off, then yeah. Well, I'll tell you this though. While Nina was living there, and I, I'm hoping she still lives there to this day. There was a granny annex on the end, and she had a guy living there for 12 months. And then all of a sudden, she got rid of him. She never told me the reason why she got rid of him. He did something, but she didn't like it. She got rid of him. Anyway, he kept coming back. She'd be watching TV in the living room, and, he'd, and she'd see him in the bushes, 
somehow he got in, you know, over the fence or something. So she called the police. The police would come out, couldn't find him. Anyway, this goes on for a few weeks, and then they catch him. They finally catch him, okay? So they take him, arrest him. About an hour later, the policeman comes back and knocks on the door. He goes, I've just got to tell you, by law, you have to know this. This guy used to work for MI5. He's now retired, oh, so he wow. says. Yeah, I know. Like he used to work for MI5, and I have to tell you that. Maybe he's um, a man in black or something. Yeah. He knew what was going on in Nina's house. He found out. So he got in there. So he yeah. must be doing a hell of a lot of research. And that must going back to MI5. So they knew about it. Changing the subject slightly, we're recording this show a little ahead of time. And in fact, today's the day that we released episode 52, which is someone who we believe is familiar with you, Mark Anthony Wyatt. Yes, he's a friend of mine, yeah. Yeah. So he gave us a story about some UFOs over GCHQ in Cornwall. Right. And he said that some of the reports that he'd obtained actually described the craft being escorted almost with fighters, with our fighters, okay, and then moving up the coast towards Bristol, Wales, etc. Do you think that what you're seeing maybe is linked in some way with what Mark was describing? Yeah, I think so. I think think they're all linked, to be honest with you. Funny enough, actually, only about three days ago, there was a UFO here in Western, and I didn't even know anything about it. I had missed it. (laughs) But there was a light in the sky. And it was above, you know, Western Supermare hanging around. But I think they're all linked in some way or another. But as far as how many types of, you know, extraterrestrial beings there are, or are they all like the same? I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. It's all hearsay, isn't it, at the end of the day? But what you can only go by what people tell you, and hopefully they're telling you the truth. It's gaining more and more traction these days with more and more people coming out about it, you know, prominent figures, yeah. people that are in the military, people that are trained observers. That's right. It's weird. Since Bella and I started doing this show, which initially we just wanted to do for fun, but it has just taken off, really, in, in a way that we never expected. Well, get a camcorder, get that infrared filter on the front, go to night shop, go to <laughs> Zoom, and seriously, you'll see them. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we actually saw something a couple of weeks, well, a couple of months ago. We were coming back one evening. It was dusk, so it wasn't totally dark yet, but it was certainly getting that way. And we both looked up in the sky and we saw something, just both looked at exactly the same place, both described similar things. My description was that it was a long cylindrical type craft that almost looked like it had a tail, like a stingray sort of tail behind it. Bella, what was it you, how was it you described it? To me, it looked more like lights. Just a streak of lights. Yeah, and it was there. It started to move, and then it was just gone. Yeah, well, yeah. what I saw was this this thing, like I said, that almost had a tail like it was whipping that just shot overhead. It was absolutely bizarre. And, you know, if I was to think of my to think to myself, you know, how would I imagine a UFO? It should, certainly wouldn't have been a sort of long cylindrical thing with what looked like a, a stingray's tail. That sounds more it. like a dragon. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that because i got a lady who lives in London who sees these weird entities flying around and she said one of them came really close to her window and it had a heartbeat. So wow. you could see like a heart beating in it. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, there are UFOs that are living type creatures, you know. They don't have to be yeah. like discs and stuff like that. There's all sorts of stuff flying around up there. Rods is another one. You know, they can also be called skyfish. And they're really sort of weird. They they fly really fast. You can hardly see them with the naked eye. But cameras can catch them. Yeah. And they're in movies. Believe it or not, they're in movies. If you watch, you see them. The the, the editor, the director didn't cut them out. For whatever reason, he, they're in there. Oh, now yeah. I'm going to have to go looking for movies. so I can... The Iger Sanction. <laughs> okay, Clint Eastwood. What is yeah, it? He's climbing the Iger. You the see Iger it. Sanction. Plain as day, flying across. It looks like an Exocet missile. Kelly's Heroes. It seems like Clean Eastwood movies for some reason. Maybe they're watching him. They're in movies. You see them. It's like, whoa, there's a sky sky fish. You know, there's a rod. They're Clean Eastwood fans, they are. It's weird. See when you're playing golf live, you know, and I watch the Masters going over the clubhouse. Oh, it was a massive one. It was huge. It was huge. I wish I'd recorded it. Wow. Yeah. As we said earlier, I'm about an hour away from you. If I was able to, and if we could arrange it, could I come along and have a look at some of the things you're looking at with your equipment? Oh, the night vision. Yeah, of course. We can uh, arrange something. Can I come? 
Well, I don't know. I, he... Oh, leave her alone. <laughs> Let's go out. <laughs> no, keep, keep we can arrange that, no problem oh, at all. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, That's a whole other show, that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of if other people want to have a look at some of your footage and the evidence that you've got, can you give us information on how they can get hold of that? Yeah, I have set up a YouTube account, but it's not actually running yet. But at the moment, everything's on my Facebook page, which is Richard Lenny. L-E-N-N-I-E and then just ufologist in brackets. Excellent. Okay. And you said that you haven't put it in a book or anything yet. You're in books, but you haven't written a book yet. Is that yeah, something... I'm in books, but I haven't written books. Is that yeah, something that's, right. that's on the horizon? Excuse the pun. I'm going to perhaps think about doing it soon, but I want to try and correlate some more stuff first. You know, go back down to Devon again, and then we'll see, you know, from there what happens. Hopefully we'll get more footage. You know, I want to get a lot more footage, really. I mean, I know where to look now, and I yeah. know what to use to look for it. So it is just a question of being lucky on the night, you know? Yeah. And one last question then before we go. Sure. If obviously everything that you're seeing is real and true and is actually happening, what do you think the intelligence behind these anomalies, what do you think their agenda is? And I appreciate well, that this is, is your opinion rather than fact at this yeah, point. Yeah, this is but... my opinion, obviously, and this is what I think. And I've talked to other ufologists. John feels the same way. Ed did when he was alive. You know, a lot of them say the same. We think that these spheres are up in the skies, these drones, these UFOs, the beams coming down, you know, it all links to the Earth in some way or another. And they all seem to be concerned about it because they watch wars, but they don't interfere. But they will interfere if it's anything to do with nuclear but that's another story. But, you know, if we're going to damage the planet in any way, then they will interfere. Otherwise, they'll just step back and they'll observe. But we think what they're doing is they're like our guardians, and they're making sure that we don't mess up the planet too much, you know, and we're not destroying it. And they keep taking water, they keep taking soil, they keep taking berries, food, animals, humans, apparently as well. They take all these things, okay? They do experiments, they do stuff, they want to make sure that we're not messing up the planet. That much, I pretty much am 100% on. Because it all links to it. it. You know, otherwise, why would they do it all? Why would they be foraging? Why would they be doing all this if it wasn't for that reason? Or maybe so they're just waiting for us to destroy it so then they can come and take it. <laughs> yeah, but I really do think that is part of I'm not saying that's the whole thing. But I'm saying that that is a big chunk of it. That's why they're doing what they're doing. And that's why they're hiding a lot of the time, so they can get on and do it, you know, and get on and do the job, take the stuff, do whatever it is they do with it, and then whatever they do after that. Because at the moment, they just seem to keep doing it all the time. Mm. And, and the rest of the time, they're just flying around and, you know, showing themselves every now and again, which I think they do purposely as well, so that we do see them. And then the rest of the time, they hide and then they carry on and do their work. And the reason for all this, apart from the fact they're making sure that we're not messing the planet up, you know, there must be an agenda at the end of the day, but what it is, I can't answer because I don't know. But everything I've told you today on this show, everything I've told you today on this show is 100% true, and I have seen it, haven't made any of it up. It's definitely happening, and it's definitely out there. And you too can see it, or some of it, if you get your equipment, night vision, or camcorder during the day, night vision during the night, you can see them. Have you got a model of night vision goggles that you might want to mention that you know are a good set to get for anyone who's interested in looking? Yeah, I can actually. To start off with, anyway, a good set will set you back, like I said, between four and six hundred pounds. If you go second hand, four hundred. And a good make is Pulsar. Um, they do a Generation 1 Plus, which is an equivalent to Generation 2. So really all it is, in night visions, it goes generation one to about five or six now. It used to be three, and then it went up to four, and I think it goes up to five or six now. And all that means is the higher the gen number, the more sensitive they are, so they let more light in. You can see out further. You see more detail, and obviously you can see whatever you're looking at a lot better and clearer. But then there's a price to pay for that because the higher you go, you've got better optics, Everything's more quality. It's quality, quality all the way up, basically. So you're paying for that. So up to Generation 3, which is a 2+, that's as high as you can go here in the UK. I don't understand why, but Generation 3, 4s are illegal in the UK. You can't buy them. And you can't also buy them from America to get into this country. They won't allow it. So I would say, to begin with, go for a 1+, which is equivalent to a Generation 2, so that's good quality. See a lot with that. I know because I have. 
and it won't set you back more than about four, five hundred pounds, maybe six if you buy brand new. And that'll give you a case, the battery, which takes like a little like camera battery or full pen light, and that'll last you six hours with the infrared on, nine hours without the infrared on. And you get like a little viewfinder, CCD screen made by Sony, good quality, and you can change from black and white to color to go green or red. Green's better because it's better on the eyes, which is why they're always green. And just pan the sky and just wait. Best time to go out, though, is after 11 o'clock at night. Because before that, you'll see satellites everywhere. So after about 11 o'clock, the sun's gone round so far around the other side of the Earth where you won't see the satellites anymore. And then if you see stuff that's moving, it's usually something else. So 11 o'clock onwards, I find the best time for activity, believe it or not, is 3 in the morning. That's obviously if you if you're dedicated and want to stay up all night, which I have done in the past, but I'm too old to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> well, I let other people do it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time with us today, and certainly that's going to give people a, a really good start if they're looking to get into this type of thing as well giving them that information on the optics that you've just mentioned we could have spent all night with you talking about this there's just so many different angles that we can go down and look at we didn't even touch on the description of these entities that nina's seeing if we get the opportunity and certainly after you've been to nina's again if you do get the opportunity to go there will you come back and tell us all about it of course i will yeah absolutely i'm hoping to go down Sort of, well, actually, John's dealing with it all now. He's going to hire a van. We're going to take out all the equipment. I think we're going to be doing it probably towards the end of June, beginning of July. So once we've done it and we've got more information and hopefully more footage, then by all means, we can do a part two if you want. Excellent. So, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Thank yeah, you very much. Definitely. Okay. Richard Lenny, thanks again for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, I think that was one of my favorite podcast episodes. Yeah. I, it, Really, I know I made the quip at the start about really open your eyes, but if we did have the ability to see some of these things above us that are apparently going on with just spending 600-odd quid, yeah, it would be worth it, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but, well, well, but there has to be so much happening in the military and, and, and all that. If an ordinary person can buy equipment and be able to look up there and see it, they have no comment on the whole thing? Like, the military never goes, oh, no, that's just this or it's just that. I mean, it's really strange if you think about it. It's bizarre to think that there hasn't been, you know, a really big sort of surge of people who have seen it. Well, maybe now there will be. Maybe after yeah. people now listen to our show. And I haven't seen it for myself, and you haven't seen it for no. yourself. I don't think that Richard Lenny is a liar. I don't oh, no, think that he's coming on here and kind of duping people. But at the same time, from to protect ourselves, we haven't seen it yet. So if you want to go out and spend £600 on the equipment, then that's up to you. You're obviously taking a chance and obviously putting your faith in someone else. But I have spoken to Richard since doing the recording, and I'm actually going to see if we can go along and, and just have a look. use his equipment and have a look. And certainly if I see stuff that is unexplained then yeah I it'll think, be a show all I about think, you 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 well no i think <laughs> that i would be i would be investing in a pair to be fair right in the middle of the night if you've got binoculars and that people probably looking in other people's windows not up at the sky so who knows right i mean i don't know i think that says more about you than <laughs> <laughs> i just admit things other people may not necessarily well, we can't look outside of our bedroom window. What are we going to watch? The river. Well, yeah. Well, I don't have any binoculars, just saying, but, you know. Yeah, we I mean. have. we got a pair upstairs in my drawer. Where are they? In my drawer. Where? Oh, well, you've got them now, have you? No. Oh, but right. where are they? We do not have... You have them in your drawer. <laughs> okay, but, you know... So... They, listen... You have made it perfectly clear that what is mine is also yours. No, no, no. I said what's mine is yours. Well, what about my razor? Well, I don't have the technology that your mine. My razor's old. It doesn't have the same technology. <laughs> yeah, I got a weed whacker in the fridge, in the shed, <laughs> in the fridge. <laughs> I got a weed whacker in the shed. 
you Egypt and on that guys thank you very much for listening don't forget you can follow us in all the normal places on Facebook on Twitter on Instagram you can follow us on our website www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk and you can get in touch with us via mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk until next week look up to the skies and try and find stuff that is weird, weird wacky, wacky and, and wonderful, wonderful.